please open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis, for those that don't know, is the first book of the Bible. The Bible contains 66 books, which were written by 41 authors living on three continents over 1600 years apart. These men were told to write about the creation of the world, the fall of man, the coming Messiah, and the subsequent kingdom of God. The Bible, therefore, is divine in origin, not human. Yes, men wrote the Bible, but God inspired them to write what they wrote. The writers per se weren't inspired, but their writings were. Unlike Shakespeare, their writings were inspired and subsequently have been preserved unto this day. The Bible contains the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament contains 39 books, whereas the New Testament contains 27 books. Therefore, these 66 books can be considered to be God's love letters to the world. We should read the Bible, we should obey the Bible, and we should cherish the Bible. So let's start at the very beginning. Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Three words here that are of great interest to me. The word beginning, meaning the beginning or the creation of time. God is eternal. God has always existed. And yet, at a time of his choosing, he created time. He entered into time and spoke the universe into creation. This word here for God in Hebrew means Elohim. Elohim can be singular and Elohim can be plural. Interesting, because the Bible says there is one God in three persons. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, being the Trinity, of course. But much more on that on a future broadcast. The word for heaven here has a threefold meaning. When you fly in an aeroplane, you fly through the air. That constitutes heaven in the eyes of the Lord. If you look into space and you see the stars and you see the moon and you see the space stations, that also constitutes heaven and in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was taken to the third heaven, as was Elijah, as was Enoch. That is where the Lord God of the Bible resides. So we see from chapter 1, verse 1, Almighty God creating the heaven and the earth from nothing, and you either accept that or you don't. But if it's correct, if it's true, and there's no doubt in my mind that it's true, you now have to do something about what you've heard. Because if this God could create something from nothing and sustain it 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, that is pretty clear. He is all-powerful. And as we go through these series of broadcasts, you will see that he is also holy and he expects his creation to honour him, to obey him and to walk with him. But we will look at that as we go through these broadcasts in the coming weeks and months. Also of interest to me is how the Lord of the universe tells you that he made the universe but he doesn't tell you how he made the universe. Why? Because you couldn't understand. Even if you wanted to, you couldn't understand how an all-powerful, eternal God created the universe out of nothing. You weren't told to understand it, but you were told to believe it. You have a creation, which points to a creator, and you have a conscience, which also points back to a creator. So mankind is totally without excuse. Creation points to a creator, a conscience points to a creator. Moving on through our look at the book of Genesis, and from the previous broadcast, I showed you how the word of God declares the Lord, 
creating the universe, how he speaks it into being, but the word of God doesn't tell us how he created the universe. Look at chapter 1 verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Chapter 1, you saw the word Elohim, which can be plural, and here you find the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead. Look at verse 3. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as the light of the world. So here, in the first three verses of the first book of the Bible, you find Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creating the universe from nothing. Verse 4, And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. When you read through the Bible, you find the term darkness can be a metaphor for sin, judgment, and hell. But here, this is a literal light and a literal darkness. No metaphors, no need to allegorize the word of God. Just take it as it is printed in your Bible. Also from verse 5, it says, And the evening and the morning were the first day, a literal period of 24 hours. Look at verse 8. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Look at 13. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Look at 19. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. 23. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was not a man to till the ground. You found five literal days here. These verses prove five literal days. And you see from chapter 2 verse 5 that it hadn't even rained yet. So if these are long periods of time, everything would have died. The plants would have died. Everything that God had created and planted would have died. The animals would have died because there was no water for them to drink. Therefore we have to take these verses to be literal periods of 24 hours. The creation of the world, the plants, the whales, the beasts, have all been created. They would have died without the water. So as far as I am concerned, these are six literal 24-hour days. And on the seventh day, God rested. We are still in the book of Genesis. And today I'm going to start from chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. That word God, one more time, is Elohim, and here God, the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit say, let us make man in our image. Man has a body, man has a soul, and man has a spirit. Man is a three-part being. Mankind was created to have dominion over everything. Adam spoke to the animals. Adam even named the animals. But here man is superior to anything and everything. 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female 
created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Once again, God doesn't tell you exactly how he made man, because you couldn't understand how he made man. But he didn't allow man to evolve. He made man out of nothing. And here the commission, once again, is very clear. First of all, to have dominion over everything and anything, but to go on and to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything. Man is made in the image of God. Man has a soul, animal does not. Man is the highest level of being outside of the triune God. Even the angels don't understand the mystery of mankind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus died for mankind. Not for the animals, not for the trees, not for the angels, but for mankind. And look at 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. By day six, everything has been created. Not literal periods of time, but 24 hour days. So moving on through the book of Genesis, during the last broadcast, we looked at the creation of the world. We saw man was made on the sixth day. Man didn't evolve from the slime. Man was made by God in the image of God. Mankind is the highest creature in all of the universe outside of the triune God, of course. But for today, let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. The word host means armies. You have an angelic force in heaven. When the Lord created the earth the first time, everything was perfect. We saw that from the 31st verse from chapter 1. And it was very good. Perfect. No sin, no fall. Absolutely wonderful. Absolutely perfect. And yet somewhere along the way, sin came into the world. It came through Satan. And from Satan, it was passed on to Adam and Eve. But more on that later. The term heavens is plural, once again demonstrating that there are three parts of heaven. In the air, space, and of course a third heaven. Verse 2, And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. The seventh day would be Saturday. The seventh day was the Jewish Sabbath. And the term here for rest doesn't mean the Lord put his feet up or needed to sleep, or needed to take a break. The word here for rest simply means he sat back and enjoyed it. He also set an example for the Jews. Like I say, Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath, and you couldn't work on the Sabbath. You had six days of the week to do all your work and your chores and everything, but on the seventh day, that being Saturday, you were expected to stop and rest. So the Lord sets example here. He stops and rests. And that custom was carried out for many, many years. The Lord Jesus Christ observed the Sabbath. All of the apostles observed the Sabbath. 
but we know from the New Testament that once the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, that was the end of the Old Testament, and that was the commencement of the New Covenant, the New Testament. We're no longer under the old Jewish law. We don't need to keep the Jewish Sabbath. The first day of the week is Sunday. Jesus Christ came up out of the tomb on a Sunday. The early church met to worship him on a Sunday. So just needed to open this broadcast with those very important points and facts. Verse 3, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. He's blessed it, which means it was sacred for a period of time to a limited group of people. And he's also sanctified it, which means he set it apart. As I say, this was given to the Jews. They were expected to keep the Jewish Sabbath. But according to Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Well, during the last broadcast, we looked at the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was compulsory for the Jews to keep. And those that didn't keep it were put to death. But we know from the New Testament that Jesus Christ has abolished all of the law, all of the civil law, and all of the ceremonial law. So now we are living under grace. We can worship on any day of the week, at any time of the week of our choosing, if we are born again. So let's move on through the book of Genesis. I'm still in chapter 2, and let's look at verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. That tells you how the Lord created Adam. And only Adam was created that way. But we still don't know how he made Adam. Our finite minds can just about comprehend chapter 2 verse 7. But we still don't really understand how God made a man from the dust of the ground. And then breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul. Once again, we aren't told, we aren't expected to understand how these things happen, but we are expected to believe that these things did happen. Big difference between understanding something and believing something. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. Look at verse 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Please bear this in mind as a quick footnote. Pre the fall of man, from the creation to the fall of man, mankind was a vegetarian. Mankind didn't need to eat the animals. He was a vegetarian. Hence why the focus here is on the trees. Look at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So this tree is very distinct to all of the other trees. And Adam had all the trees in the garden. Adam had a great blessing. He was the first man to walk on the earth. And the Lord says you can have everything except that tree, the knowledge of good and evil. This is the first test that God gives to mankind. But let's read on. 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. 
that will be Eve, of course. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam, to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was a name thereof. What a great picture of responsibility here. Adam's almost like a king. He's going to name the animals. But that warning from 17 is in the back of Adam's mind. Don't eat of that particular tree. 20. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. That's the first operation recorded in the Bible thousands of years ago. Adam is put to sleep, and from his rib comes Eve, known here as woman, woo man. She comes from man. 23. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So during the last broadcast, we saw the creation of Eve. Adam was put to sleep, and the Lord created Eve from Adam's rib. She came from man. She was created to help and support him. When a girl is born, she takes her father's name. When the girl gets married, she takes her husband's name. And when the children are born, they take the husband's name. Women all over the world, in all civilizations, still to this day, either take their father's name or they take their husband's name. But here, the Bible says it very clearly that she was created from man for man. Also from 25, it says they were both naked and they were not ashamed. This is pre the fall. If you were to see a couple walking down the street today naked, you would know something wasn't right and the police would be called and they would both be arrested. But here, they have no shame because no sin has yet touched them. They are both perfect in the eyes of the Lord. Not sinless, but they are perfect. They are both upright. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I don't believe this was the first time that the serpent spoke to Eve. And of course the serpent is Satan. The serpent is Lucifer. The devil appears in this piece of scripture as a serpent. In the New Testament, he appears as an angel of light. He appears as a messenger of the Lord, as an apostle of the Lord. But here he appears as a serpent and he goes straight to Eve, not to Adam. And the Bible says that the woman is weaker than the man. Women cannot be teachers, only men can be Bible teachers. And this is why men should be the head of the family. And he says here, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden, found from chapter 2, verse 17. He's mirroring what the Lord told Adam. Look at verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, 
We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. She knew what she shouldn't have done, and Adam no doubt had told her, and yet here, rather foolishly, rather naively, she's engaging with the serpent. That's the first mistake that Eve made. Look at verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. This is the first lie in the scriptures. Mankind cannot become a god. A man or woman that gets saved becomes a child of God, but they do not become God per se. So moving on through the book of Genesis, we are still in chapter 3, and I showed you last time how Eve made the fatal mistake of engaging with the serpent. Adam had told her not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and yet she completely discards what Adam had told her. And here she's in a very dangerous interaction with the serpent, and it's going to end with disastrous consequences for her and for all of us subsequently. Verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Now they know they have sinned. Their sin has found them out. Chapter 2 verse 15, the word of God told us they weren't ashamed to be naked. But now they are ashamed, and they are quickly going to try and cover themselves up. Much like you find when a child does wrong. A child steals something, or a child eats something which it's not supposed to eat. And the parent says, where are you? What have you done? And the child hides. This is what Adam and Eve are going to do now. 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the call of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? This is the Lord's first attempt to reach out to Adam. He knows where Adam is. The Lord is omnipresent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipotent. He knows everything. He knew that Adam was going to fall before Adam fell. But here, he wants Adam to say, I'm here, Father. I'm here, Lord. Please forgive me. I've made a huge mistake. But that's not what happens. Look at verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat. That's the second chance that the Lord gives to Adam to come clean and confess his transgression. But look at verse 12. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. He's blaming Eve. He's not taking responsibility for his own actions. Nothing much has changed. People still, to this day, don't take responsibility for their actions. 13. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? 
And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Now Eve is blaming the serpent. Once again, this is very much a picture of two juvenile children that have been caught doing something wrong, and they are blaming one another. Neither of them are going to take responsibility, they're going to blame one another. Look at verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Here's a picture of Satan's seed being at war with the seed of Eve right up until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll discuss that more in the next broadcast. But very quickly, here you find the Lord going straight to the serpent, cursing him. You can't sin and get away with it. The Lord's eyes are everywhere, beholding the evil and the good. So back to the book of Genesis, and we see once again the consequences of the sin of Adam and Eve. What started must have been bliss to them, must have been perfect for them, must have been surreal for them. But now they have both sinned and they are going to suffer the consequences of their sin. That, in a nutshell, is original sin. Chapter 3, look at verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. This is a type of the righteousness of Christ. Also, it's a physical type of clothing. Because they were naked, they're now going to be pushed out of the Garden of Eden. They're going to go in to the world. They're going to be part of the world system. And what a shock that must have been for them. 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live for ever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken. He has become like one of us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Elohim. Like I said from the beginning, Elohim can be singular, and Elohim can be plural. But here the man knows good from evil. He now has a conscience. He's now alert. He now realises that his life is going to be hard and he's going to have to work to survive. His wife is going to suffer through childbirth. So here, through the mercy of the Lord, he's going to drive them out from the Garden of Eden. 24. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Two cherubims, the highest form of angelic being, are dispatched to stop Adam and Eve going back into the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine how the fall of Adam and Eve must have felt to them? They had walked with the Lord, they had communed with the Lord, Adam had been able to name the animals, and Eve as well had been able to speak to the animals. They didn't need to do anything. Even work wouldn't have been necessary. They could have enjoyed the Lord God for all of eternity. 
What you find here is the fall of man and paradise lost. But paradise lost is paradise regained, paradise restored through the Messiah. Through the fall of Adam and Eve comes a need of redemption. And the Redeemer, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. But for here and now, Adam and Eve are now pushed out and no longer will they walk in the presence of the Lord God. So back to the book of Genesis and we see once again the consequences of the sin of Adam and Eve. What started must have been bliss to them, must have been perfect for them, must have been surreal for them. But now they have both sinned and they are going to suffer the consequences of their sin. That, in a nutshell, is original sin. Chapter 3, look at verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins, and clothe them. This is a type of the righteousness of Christ. Also, it's a physical type of clothing, because they were naked. They're now going to be pushed out of the Garden of Eden. They're going to go in to the world. They're going to be part of the world system. And what a shock that must have been for them. 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth, from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken. He has become like one of us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Elohim. Like I said from the beginning, Elohim can be singular, and Elohim can be plural. But here, the man knows good from evil. He now has a conscience. He's now alert. He now realises that his life is going to be hard, and he's going to have to work to survive. His wife is going to suffer through childbirth. So here, through the mercy of the Lord, he's going to drive them out from the Garden of Eden. 24. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Two cherubims, the highest form of angelic being, are dispatched to stop Adam and Eve going back into the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine how the fall of Adam and Eve must have felt to them? They had walked with the Lord, they had communed with the Lord, Adam had been able to name the animals, and Eve as well had been able to speak to the animals. They didn't need to do anything. Even work wouldn't have been necessary. They could have enjoyed the Lord God for all of eternity. What you find here is the fall of man and paradise lost. But paradise lost is paradise regained, paradise restored through the Messiah. Through the fall of Adam and Eve comes a need of redemption. And the Redeemer, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. But for here and now, Adam and Eve are now pushed out. And no longer will they walk in the presence of the Lord God. So moving on through the book of Genesis, we concluded the last broadcast with the Lord God forcing Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden due to their sin. 
They were told back in chapter 2 to go forth and multiply and replenish the earth. And here you find this occurring after the fall of man. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. The expression Adam knew Eve simply means intercourse has taken place, as they were told back in chapter 2, and now she's given birth to her firstborn called Cain. Cain is also the first child to be born from Adam and Eve. Up until this moment, Adam and Eve were the only people living on the earth. Verse 2, And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So here you have the first two boys offering up different sacrifices unto the Lord God. This is a theme throughout the entire Bible. And of course God offers the ultimate sacrifice up of his own son. But Cain offers up the fruit of the ground, whereas Abel offers up the firstlings of his flock. Clearly Abel's sacrifice was of much greater significance compared to his older brother Abel. And Cain knows this. Cain knows that the Lord isn't happy about this and his countenance, his face fell and he became very angry, jealous too, perhaps. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Like back in chapter 3, the Lord calls Adam and says, Where art thou? And he gives Adam the chance to repent. And here he's giving Cain the chance to come clean. He's also giving Cain the chance to perhaps offer a better sacrifice, a greater sacrifice which is more worthy of the Lord. Look at verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. As Cain was the oldest, he should have been ruling over his younger brother, but because the sacrifices were mixed up, because Cain offered an inferior sacrifice, he's going to pay the consequences of this. Look at verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. There's a first murder in the Bible. Cain slew his brother Abel. Abel was an innocent man. Cain is now the first murderer of the Bible. And the Lord's going to hunt him down as a result of his wickedness. Moving on, we saw in the last broadcast, Cain murdering his brother Abel, completely unprovoked, no doubt due to the jealousy that Abel had secured a greater standing with the Lord through a sacrifice. Look at verse 9. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Sarcasm. And once again, God gives Cain the opportunity to repent, to confess what he has done. He did it with Adam. He did it with Eve. And yet, like his parents, Cain throws it back in the Lord's face. Verse 10, And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood 
crieth unto me from the ground. Second chance, come clean, what have you done, Cain? And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. The Bible makes it very clear in both testaments that if you murder someone, you have lost your life. The Lord God could have killed Cain for what he had done, but he shows him mercy. But from his offspring comes a cursed line. The consequences of what Cain did are found throughout the coming generations. They are still going to be judged for their own sins, but nevertheless they carry the scar of Cain's murder. The first murder in the entire Bible. Look at verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Nobody has the right to take another person's life. Only the state has the right to put to death a murderer. Killing and murder are not the same thing. Cain was a murderer, and therefore he could have been put to death for his sin, like I say. But nobody else had the right to kill Cain for his murder. God has put a mark on him, which would have been very clear to anybody that wanted to take the law into their own hands. And he says, if you take Cain's life, vengeance shall be taken on you sevenfold. Meaning your family are going to suffer if you take the law into your own hands. 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived, and bare Enoch. And he builded a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. His wife, he would have been his sister, incest, wasn't outlawed until the Ten Commandments, although sin is still found throughout the book of Genesis, and even the pagans had a clear dislike for certain sins. But here, it was necessary for Cain to know his sister to produce offspring to start the human race. The Lord permitted it for a period of time, and eventually, as the gene pool changed and the climate changed, it was outlawed. And from his wife, he bears a son called Enoch, and he names a city after his son Enoch. So there you are, Cain, the first murder of the Bible, and by verse 17, he vanishes. So moving on through the book of Genesis, chapter 4, you saw Cain killing Abel, and the Lord punishing Cain and driving him out, and at the same time putting a mark on him, which resulted in nobody being allowed to take his life. But look at verse 23, Genesis 4, verse 23. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. Cain, his great-great-grandfather, killed his brother, and here that sin of murder has gone through the bloodline. Judgment is going to fall on Lamech as well. Seventy and sevenfold. He's panicking. He's a murderer as well. 
but we don't know what happened to him. Quite likely he wasn't killed. Quite likely the Lord showed him mercy as well. But his conscience has pricked him. Once again, the conscience within man points back to his creator. 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed, instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Once again, God's mercy and graciousness comes into play. Eve has lost one son, and therefore the Lord not only gives her another son, but through Seth comes the Messiah. Seth is a godly man. Seth is the line to be in. In fact, all of the greats in the Old Testament come from the line of Seth. Noah, Abraham, and eventually the Lord Jesus Christ. 26. And to Seth, and to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now they are worshipping the Lord. And here Seth and his son are going to push forward. They are going to do what Cain wasn't able to do. Call on the name of the Lord. That's what gets you saved. Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that concludes the end of the fourth chapter. What started on a negative note finishes on a positive note. Murder is found in chapter 4 and yet worship and calling on the name of the Lord concludes chapter 4. And Seth is a forerunner for that godly line found throughout the entire Old Testament. And to be in the line of Seth puts you in great favour with the Lord. It puts you on the right path to being blessed, to being welcomed into the family of God. But 26, Enos called on the name of the Lord. He did it, and if you want to be saved, you have to do it as well. Okay, well just before we get back to the book of Genesis, I want to share some additional thoughts with you all. Uh, to expound the scripture a little more and first of all when the devil came to Eve and tempted her and he said surely you won't die if you eat of the fruit and she ate and Adam ate and they both died but they did not die physically they died spiritually and uh, one of the reasons why the Lord God drove them out of the Garden of Eden was because had they stayed in the Garden of Eden they would never have died they would have lived on forever like God God has no beginning and he has no end. Mankind has to die. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Therefore the Lord, in his mercy, drove them out. And off they went into the world. They had many children, and those children died, and their children died, and their children died. Ten out of ten people will die. The only exception to the rule was Enoch and Elijah. Enoch is a type of of a Gentile Bible believer that is raptured before the end of the church age. Elijah is a type of a Jew that is raptured before the end of the church age. Those two are the exception. Everyone else in the word of God that ever lived died. Ten out of ten people will die without exception. So God forced Adam and Eve out, A, to go into the world, B, to have children, and C, to die. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Where sin and death destroy man, life and repentance regenerates man through the Lord Jesus Christ. And also the Lord told Eve that she would suffer through conception, through childbirth, and even to this day women still suffer. Women still have the pain of having their monthly periods. They still have the emotional turmoil of going through that time of the month. Nothing has changed under the sun. Women today are still under the curse of Eve. And men today are still under the curse of Adam. Man has to go out, man has to work, man has to provide for his family. So there you are, just a few points to add in addition to what we've already seen over the last few broadcasts. And next up, we shall be looking at chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam, in the day when they were created. Like I've already told you, when a girl is born, she takes her father's name. When she gets married, she takes her husband's name. If she has children, they too take the husband's name. Women in the Bible have no identity. They have first names, but they have no surname of their own, unless it's their fathers or their husbands. And here, God made them and called them Adam. Adam is the head of the wife. The man is the head of the marriage. Christ is the head of the church. Man submits to Christ. Woman submits to the husband. If she's single, she comes under the authority of the elders in her fellowship. If she has no fellowship, then she comes under the covering of at least one brother in the Lord. 3. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were eight hundred years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years, and he died. During the thousand year reign, people are going to live for very long periods of time. If you are saved in the church age, you will obviously be reigning and ruling with the Lord for a thousand years. But at the end of the tribulation, those people that are saved, those saved saints to the tribulation, are going to go in to the millennium. And they are going to have children, and those children are going to be born while the Lord is rolling on the earth. And if those children aren't believers, if those children are disobedient, they will be put to death. Original sin, go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, is found very clearly and here it says very clearly that Adam was 930 years old and he died. Along the way he had many sons and daughters and those sons and those daughters intermarried to start the human race. Like I've already said to you, incest pre the Ten Commandments was legal. But as time went by, as the gene pool changed, as the climate changed, as sin became more widespread, the Lord said no. No longer can we accept incest as being okay. In fact, with the arrival of Noah and his children boarding and exiting the ark, that is the beginning of the end for this particular necessity as it was back in the early parts of Genesis. So just to recap these verses one more time, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, but they were pushed out of the Garden of Eden due to their sin. 
the Lord blessed them and he said, go into the earth and be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And he gave them garments to wear and off they went into the world. The wages of sin is death. They sinned, therefore they died as a consequence of their sin. They died spiritually back in Genesis chapter 3, but they didn't die physically until 930 years later. We don't know when Eve died. We're not told when Eve died. She may have died around the same time as Adam, but he died 930 years later. So moving on through the book of Genesis, and we are still in chapter 5. Last time I showed you how Adam and Eve were blessed and told to go out and multiply and replenish the earth. Once they went out into the world, Seth was born to them. Seth in many ways replaces Abel. Abel tried to have a relationship with the Lord, but he was cut down in his prime. And what you will find very clearly in the word of God are two lines, two blood lines. The first bloodline is going to feed into the Messiah, and the second bloodline is going to feed into the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be human, but behind him will be the devil, Lucifer, the serpent, found in chapter 3. But much more on that as we go through these broadcasts. Look at verse 6 from chapter 5. And Seth lived an hundred and five years, and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos eight hundred and seven years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were nine hundred and twelve years, and he died. Adam made it to nine hundred and thirty years, Seth made it to nine hundred and twelve years. Bit by bit, their years are going to start to reduce. 9. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. So you see one more time how the lifespan is being reduced. And not only is it being reduced, people are having children later. Jump down to verse 18, please. And Jared lived 160 and 2 years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and 2 years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years, and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God, after he begat Methuselah, 300 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. There's a picture of the rapture. Enoch, as I say, represents a born-again, Bible-believing Gentile at the end of the church age that is going to be raptured. He never dies. He walked with the Lord, and the Lord took him. Also, his son Methuselah is the oldest man in the entire Old Testament. Verse 25, And Methuselah lived a hundred eighty and seven years, and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived, after he begat Lamech, seven hundred eighty and two years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were nine hundred sixty and nine years, and he died. Another Lamech. The first Lamech we saw from the earlier chapters of Genesis, and he, like his forefather, Cain, was a murderer. This is a different Lamech. This Lamech is in the right line. The other Lamech was in the wrong line. 28. And Lamech lived a hundred eighty and two years, and begat a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us, 
concerning our work and our toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Noah is a type of the Messiah. He's going to comfort them. He's also going to save them through the ark. 30. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 590 and 5 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 770 and 7 years, and he died. Three sevens there, a very interesting number in biblical numerology, and he died. And uh, as you see from these verses very clearly, these men not only got to see their children grow up, but they got to see their grandchildren grow up, and their grandchildren grow up. That's the Lord's mercy, which is going to be reflected in the millennium. And 32 concludes chapter 5. And Noah was 500 years old. And Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So moving on to the book of Genesis, and last time we looked at chapter 5, and I show you the longevity of mankind. 8, 900 years old was considered to be normal, and these men saw their grandchildren and their grandchildren born. That's the Lord's mercy. He could have cut down these men in their prime when they sinned, but he allowed them to live on. And we also saw from the beginning of chapter 5 how Adam and Eve were the first parents. And we all have descended from Adam and Eve. Let's start this broadcast in chapter 6 and look at verse 1. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. These daughters of men, I believe, have come from the ungodly line of Cain and his great-great-grandson Lamech. And these sons of God are no doubt angelic beings. And they have seen these daughters and they are attracted to them. And they have taken them to be their wives. Some kind of sexual union, some kind of perversion has occurred here. And the Lord isn't happy with this. Look at verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. One hundred and twenty years until the flood comes. Also he blames these women for this unholy union. Somehow these angels took on human form and had intercourse with these women. And the Lord says, no, I'm not going to have that. I'm going to deal with this clearly and firmly. Verse 4. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. These giants were huge, similar to what you find with Goliath further on in the Old Testament, but nevertheless you have a half-human and half-angelic form here. This has to be one of the main abominations in the entire Old Testament. And therefore, only one thing can be called for judgment. Look at verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. These people have been given over to their own flesh. They have been completely given over to sin. And when man gives himself over to sin, God then gives him over to himself. And when that happens, according to Romans chapter 1, there is no going back. Man 
is completely finished in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 6, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air. For it repented me that I have made them. Why is he going to destroy the animals as well? Because the sin, I believe, of bestiality has also occurred. The entire earth was wicked. The entire earth was living after the flesh. All but one man, Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He is a type of the Messiah. He is a type of the Saviour. And verse 8 makes it very clear. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This man Noah is going to be sent on a rescue mission. He was the only man in all of the earth up until this point of time that was righteous, that feared the Lord. So moving on through Genesis, we saw during the previous broadcast how man was inherently sinful. Wickedness was endemic. And if God wanted to, he could have destroyed everyone. But God in his mercy is long-suffering. When people say, why does he allow this person to live? Or why does he allow this woman to live? Why didn't he step in and deal with this? Or why didn't he step in and deal with that? Well, if he did, you would be destroyed. And I would be destroyed. We are all wicked. We are all sinful. But in his goodness, in his kindness, in his long-suffering, he allows all those that believe on him to be saved and to be pardoned and to be able to call themselves the children of God. We finished the last broadcast with Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. Can you imagine the entire world given over to sin and depravity and debauchery? And yet one man finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. Who is that man? Let's look from chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Not sinless, only God is sinless, but he was perfect, he was upright, compared to all those that lived in his generation, and that were his peers, and those which he would have grown up with. 10. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Much like today, if you didn't have the police or the armed forces, there would be mayhem. But the Lord ordains the powers that be to control society. But if you take the powers that be out of the picture, you have mob rule. You have the lunatics running the asylum, as somebody once said. But here the Lord has seen Noah, and from Noah comes three sons. And these three sons are going to do something amazing. Verse 12, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Understanding verse 12, we have to go to verse 2. I believe that these sons of God, these demon angels, had corrupted the entire world. Satan had done it back in chapter 3. He had deceived Adam and Eve, and here his minions are also 
spreading wickedness and depravity and debauchery. And mankind was more than happy and willing and content to be corrupted. That is a dual collusion. But look at verse 13. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. These pagans no doubt worshipped the earth. They were pantheist. They were polytheist. And they were worshipping the creation rather than the creator. And the Lord says, I'm going to destroy them with the earth. What they worship is what is going to destroy them. But how is he going to do that? So moving on through the book of Genesis, and I showed you last time how the Lord saw sin all over the earth, and yet just one man, the man Noah, was discovered, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Sin was endemic, there was no turning back. The Lord had reached out to mankind, and mankind had snubbed the Lord. Therefore the Lord is now moving forward to judgment. That initial line, going back to Cain and Lamech, is going to be destroyed. And yet through their destruction, redemption is going to come first and foremost through Noah. Chapter 6, look at verse 14. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within, and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, and the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it, 30 cubits. Very specific measurements here. The Lord knew exactly what he wanted. And if you are wondering what sort of size this ark would have been, just Google HMS Ark Royal, or HMS Illustrious, or HMS Invincible. Three aircraft carriers that the British Navy used for hundreds of years. Ark Royal and Invincible are no more. But Illustrious is still in service. What you will find if you Google those aircraft carriers, it's the same size and dimensions as what we've just read here. One man and his sons built this ark. Incredible. 16. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. Again, specific measurements. He knew the Lord God exactly what he wanted. And here, written by Moses, 1500 years BC, we are reading exactly what it would entail to rescue the animals and Noah's family. 17. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth, to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven. And every thing that is in the earth shall die. The Lord made everything from nothing. He sustains everything 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. He is the judge of the universe. He sets the rules. He set the perimeters. And therefore when mankind fails, not just once, not just twice, not just three times, but when mankind fails perpetually and refuses to bend the knee and call on the name of the Lord, like we found in the latter verses of chapter 4, then the Lord has the right to intervene and strike sinful man with judgment. 
Look at 18. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And here you find the Lord reaching out and he's telling them, my covenant is going to be with you, the Noahic covenant. This would be a one-off covenant between the Lord and Noah. You had to have faith in the Lord that judgment was coming. You had to build the ark and then you had to board the ark. And here you find one way out of the coming judgment, board the ark. The ark being a type of Christ. But mankind doesn't seek after the Lord. Mankind hates the Lord. Therefore they are going to be totally destroyed. Okay, we're continuing on through the book of Genesis. And we are still in chapter 6. And last time I showed you how the Lord gave the Noahic covenant only to Noah and his sons and their wives and Noah's wife. This was a one-off commission. Build the ark, get the animals onto the ark, and then board it yourself. Why? Because judgment is coming. The Lord gave mankind 120 years to repent. But of course, through foreknowledge, he knew that the vast majority of people living at this time in history weren't going to repent. And also, a quick footnote, not only do you find the great flood of Noah found in the book of Genesis and throughout the entire Bible, I might add, but you also find it throughout many other cultures. Many other groups of people have spoken about this event. This was a global flood, not a local one. But if you wish to know the truth about this flood and what happened after the flood, you need to go to the book of Genesis. This is the infinite truth as to what happened and why it happened. So let's conclude chapter 6 and we will look at verse 19. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. There's obedience. The Lord expects man to obey him. Man is saved by faith in Christ alone, but once he is saved, he produces good works, and his good works are seen by mankind. Noah's good works, first of all, were seen by the Lord, but vicariously they were seen by his own sons and their wives and Noah's wife. He was a good example to them. And here he is demonstrating the ultimate faith of building an ark, being ridiculed for doing so, and then calling the animals to board the ark. This had never been done before. Can you imagine the logistics that would have gone into building this ark and then calling all of the animals to board it through stormy waters? This, of course, was a supernatural event. Noah could not have done all of this on his own. The Lord, of course, was behind him, guiding him and overseeing everything. But Noah built the ark himself. The Lord gave Noah the tools, but Noah and his sons built the ark themselves. 
And one more footnote to share with you before the broadcast ends. The size of the Ark, as I said, would resemble one of the three aircraft carriers of the Royal Navy, Invincible, Illustrious and Ark Royal. And if you care for the measurements, they are as follows. 45 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. And once Noah and his family and the animals had boarded the Ark, the overall size inside of the Ark was 1.4 million cubic feet, which could have carried 125,000 sheep. This was a huge achievement, and the Ark was more than capable of rescuing as many animals as was necessary. Not those that had been destroyed in the previous chapter through bestiality, but those which the Lord had spared. What an achievement this must have been. Okay, well we are still in the book of Genesis, and the last broadcast we looked at chapter 6, where the Lord gave Noah a very clear commission to call the animals, board them, and get ready for the flood. Also of interest to me, Shem, Ham, and Japheth mirror the Trinity. Back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning God, Elohim, created the heaven and the earth. The Godhead created everything that was then and that is now. And here Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth, are going to repopulate the earth after the flood. Okay, chapter 7, let's start at verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. There's the call to board the ark. The Lord calls mankind to repent. And here he says, you are the only one in your generation that I have seen to be righteous. Can you imagine that? From Genesis 1 to Genesis 6, a period of about 1100 years or so, and Noah and Enoch before him, of course, are the only two people that have been singled out as being righteous. They had a special ministry between Genesis 1 and Genesis 6. Abel tried to be righteous and was cut down. Seth called on the name of the Lord and he produced offspring which eventually produced Noah. But from Genesis 1 to Genesis 6, only two people stand out as being special. Enoch walked with the Lord and was no more. He was raptured and I've already shown you how he represents a Gentile Bible-believing Christian that is going to be raptured at the end of the church age. Verse 2, And every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days and I will cause it to rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. He made it, he governs it, he sets the rules. It's his universe, there's no point questioning this. There's no point trying to judge the Lord. This is his universe. And he says judgment is going to come. And I say this to critics of the Bible. You go and make your own universe. You set your own rules up and we will come along and see how your universe is running. We will assess how well your morality is working. 
But until you make your own universe, before you set your own world system up, before you create your own alternative to mankind, this is the definitive book of judgment and holiness and righteousness. And verse 5, And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. One more quick footnote to share with you all before the broadcast ends. It has been estimated that 72,000 creatures boarded the ark in total. We know from the previous broadcast how 125,000 sheep could have boarded the ark. There was enough space for that. And yet less than 60% of the space on board the ark was used. Therefore there was ample room for 1 million species of insects plus food to board the ark and survive the coming judgment. Like the atonement, the Lord Jesus Christ has died for every man, woman and children, but only those that appropriate the atonement are going to be saved. So we are still in chapter 7 of the book of Genesis, and I've been showing you over the last couple of broadcasts how the Lord demanded real faith from Noah, and how he blessed Noah and his family for building the ark and boarding the ark. Chapter 7, let's start this broadcast in verse 7. And Noah went in, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him into the ark, because of the waters of the flood. The Lord called Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot's wife initially left him with her daughters, but she turned back. Her heart wasn't really with the Lord. His daughters were faithful to the call to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, and of course they were spared the severe judgment that came from the Lord. Again, this is his universe. He sets the rules. And until you are able to make your own universe and produce your own equivalent to mankind, who are you to judge the Lord? Verse 8. Of clean beasts, and of beasts that are not clean, and of fowls, and of every thing that creepeth upon the earth, there went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass, after seven days, that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. It's taken seven days for Noah and his family to board the ark, and for the animals to board the ark. And we know from the New Testament that the Great Tribulation is going to last seven years. So a quick type, a quick analogy, would have Noah representing a Tribulation saint. Noah boards the ark at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, and he goes through the Great Tribulation, and the Lord preserves him. Verse 11, In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. This was a literal forty days and forty nights. Verse 13, In the selfsame day entered Noah, and Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons, with them into the ark. They, and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort, and they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. 
And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Noah represents mankind, and Noah represents the animals. He is the head, in a figurative sense, of all of creation at this time, and the Lord shuts him in. He is sealed unto the day of redemption. Again, another picture, another type of what he represents here, and it's down to the Lord to protect him and all of his passengers. So just before I conclude this broadcast, I want to share with you all a very important and very quick footnote. In the 600th year of Noah, the second month, the 10th day, Noah entered into the ark. In the 600th year of Noah, the second month, the 17th day, the flood began. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days, which is five months of 30 days each, including the 40 days and 40 nights of rain. And also, please remember that the Lord flooded the entire earth, not just from heaven, but also from within the earth. Again, pantheists. These people worship the creation rather than the creator. So we are still going through the book of Genesis. And I've already shown you how the Lord was very clear as to what he wanted Noah to build and how he wanted two of every animal to board the ark. This was a rescue mission. And we are still in chapter 7. And let's start this broadcast in verse 17. And the flood was forty days upon the earth. And the waters increased and bare up the ark. And it was lift up above the earth. Not in space. I've already shown you from chapter 1 verse 1 how heaven has a threefold meaning. When you fly from A to B, that constitutes heaven. When you look into the solar system and you see all of the stars and the moon and the meteorites, that also constitutes heaven. And the Lord himself resides in the third heaven. Paul was taken there, Enoch was taken there, and Elijah was taken there. But here, this is a Hebrew idiom. It simply means that the ark was lifted up. Not into space, like I say, but up to mountain level. Verse 18. And the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went upon the face of the waters. This is a global flood, not a local flood. Please always keep that in mind. 19. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and the creeping things, and the fowl of the heaven. And they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth an hundred and fifty days. We know from antiquity that 270 flood stories 
have been told in cultures all over the earth as to this global flood, this global judgment. Genesis has the definitive account, but outside of Genesis you have 270 cultures that also affirm that this thing happened. The highest mountain in that area is Mount Ararat, which is 17,000 feet high. And therefore we know for sure that this was a global flood. Even Mount Ararat was covered with water. And many people believe that is where Noah's Ark is to this day. So just before I conclude this broadcast, I want to give you one more quick and important footnote. Verse 24, the Bible says, And the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. Those days would have included the 40 days and 40 nights of rain. The flood rose to its peak at that point. Then it took over two and a half months before the water receded to reveal other mountain peaks. Over four and a half months before the dove could find dry land, which we'll look at in the next chapter. And on top of that, it was a further eight months before the occupants of the ark were able to leave. Okay, well during the previous broadcast we saw how the flood has now arrived and how Noah and his occupants have boarded the ark and they've been there for five months. The floods came from heaven and the floods came from within the earth. This was a global flood which has been reported not only in the word of God but also among 270 cultures. But the definitive account comes from the word of God. For today's broadcast, let's start in chapter 8, verse 1. And God remembered Noah, and every living thing, and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters surged. The fountains also of the deep, and the windows of heaven were stopped. And the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat, which is in modern-day Turkey. Verse 5. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. And she returned unto him into the ark for the waters were on the face of the whole earth then he put forth his hand, and took her, and pulled her in unto him into the ark. It covered the whole earth. Verse 9. Two birds are listed here, a raven and a dove. The raven goes out to and fro over a period of time, but can't find anywhere on the earth to land. A dove is also dispatched, and the same problem occurs for the dove. Verse 10. And he stayed yet other seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening. And lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. The raven 
isn't listed anymore, but the dove is. And the dove is a type of the Holy Spirit. And by verse 11, the dove has found an olive leaf. He knows, therefore, that the waters are starting to recede, and it won't be long now until he and his sons and their occupants can exit the ark and repopulate the earth. Much like what you are going to find at the end of the Great Tribulation. People that have been saved during the tribulation are going to leave the earth as it is at that time and go in to the millennial kingdom, the new Jerusalem. Again, the Old Testament on many occasions points to the New Testament. But here, Noah and his family and their occupants are still waiting on this ark. They've been there for over five months to leave. And yet there is nothing in the scriptures to suggest any kind of panic any kind of mayhem. The Lord maybe, perhaps, possibly has subdued all of the animals on board the ark. But here, Noah can literally see light at the end of the tunnel. And verse 12 says, And he stayed yet other seven days, and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. Why? It's found somewhere to rest. The first occupant to exit the ark is a dove, again a type of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so moving on through chapter 8 of the book of Genesis, and I showed you last time how Noah sent a raven out, first of all, from the ark, and it didn't return to him. Why? Well, it must have found some food. A raven has a very broad diet, and therefore that wasn't Evidence in and of itself that Noah and his family could survive. Therefore he sends out a dove. Because a dove is much more pernickety as to what it can eat. Eventually the dove doesn't return to Noah. Indicating that there was food for the dove. And therefore food is awaiting Noah and his family. And the rest of the animals on board his ark. So from chapter 8 let's continue on in verse 13. And it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. At last, the water has receded, and he can now leave the ark. He's been on that ark for months. He must have been desperate to leave the ark and go onto dry ground but at the same time he must have been filled with trepidation anticipation not knowing what was going to await him the entire earth had been destroyed every man had been destroyed all of the animals had been destroyed can you imagine those people banging on the ark let us in let us get on the ark Noah we've changed our minds please save us no judgment had come the Lord had shut them in, and now they, at long last, are going to escape. And his three sons and their wives are going to repopulate the earth. This was an incredible achievement from Noah and his family through the mercy of God Almighty. Verse 14. And in the second month, on the seven and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, 
and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee, bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, of all flesh, both of fowl, and of cattle, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth, and be fruitful, and multiply upon the earth. Adam and Eve were told to do this, but of course they fell through the serpent's lies, through his deception. They had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain being an unrighteous man, and Abel being a righteous man, and Cain killed Abel. And from that day forward, it was only a matter of time until judgment was going to occur. The Lord waited for hundreds of years until judgment came. And I believe during the life of Adam, the Lord suspended his judgment. Adam was 930 years old when he died. And post his death, the clock starts ticking. He gave Noah 120 years to build the ark. And indirectly, that allowed all of Noah's friends and acquaintances to see him building the ark. And that was a witness against them that judgment was coming. We know that Noah preached right up until the end. And yet he didn't secure one repentant convert. Mankind is desperately wicked. And yet through the faith of Noah, God was able to save him his wife, his sons, and their wives. And through Noah's family, he's going to repopulate the earth. Okay, well let's conclude chapter 8 from the book of Genesis. And I've shown you over the last few broadcasts how the Lord extended his mercy to one family. And only one family survived the flood. Millions of people lived on the earth during the time of the flood, and yet only one family was saved. That's pretty much how it's going to be at the end of time. Many are called, but few are chosen. Why? Well, men love darkness rather than light. The gospel call goes out to the world as it has to, and yet we know through the word of God that few people respond to the gospel. But through the Lord's mercy, he did save Noah, and some people say, well... Why doesn't the Lord deal with evil once and for all? Well, if he did, you and I wouldn't be around, would we? Because you've sinned and I've sinned. But thankfully, through the Lord's mercy, he has provided a way to save those that repent and call on his name. But for this broadcast, let's continue on from chapter 8. Verse 18. And Noah went forth, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth, after their kinds, went forth out of the ark. You would have thought there may have been a stampede to exit the ark, but that's not what happened. God is the God of order, not confusion. He subdued the animals on the ark. He got the animals onto the ark in an orderly manner, and I believe he allowed them to exit the ark in an orderly manner as well. Adam spoke to the animals. I'm not saying that Noah spoke to the animals, but Noah had a rapport with the animals which was similar to what Adam, I believe, experienced with the animals. Verse 20, And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, 
and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Thanksgiving, God, you've saved us, you've spared us. Millions have been destroyed, but through thy mercy, thou has saved us. Seth called on the name of the Lord. Here, Noah is calling on the name of the Lord. Verse 21, And the Lord smelled a sweet savour. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. Not with water will he do it, but he will do it with fire at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 22. While the earth remaineth seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Everything will continue on as normal from now on. Like I say, he won't flood the earth ever again, but he will melt up the earth with fire and brimstone at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord. So one final footnote to share with you all from chapter 8 before we conclude this broadcast and this chapter. Noah waited one month and 26 days before he disembarked in the second month, the 27th day of his 601st year. From the beginning to the end, the flood lasted one year and 10 days. From Genesis 7, 11 to Genesis 8, 14. Okay, so we have just finished chapter 8 from the book of Genesis. And before we get to chapter 9, I wanted to spend most of this broadcast, if I may, just recapping where we are so far. And I showed you all from chapter 1, verse 1, how the Lord made the entire universe from nothing. And he, and he alone, sustains it 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. The Word of God tells us that the Lord is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at the same time. The Bible also tells us that the Lord is omniscient, which means he knows your thoughts, and he is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. With the creation of the universe, it's now time for man to arrive. Adam was made from the dust of the earth. Adam wasn't a robot, he was a human being with a free will. Adam enjoyed a very special relationship with the Lord, and not only did he name the animals, but I also believe he spoke to the animals. The Lord decided that Adam needed a helpmate, and he gave him Eve. Eve came from man, and therefore she was called woman. She takes his name, and she comes under his covering. And as time went by, the serpent was able to tempt Eve. Eve listened to the serpent, not Adam. And as a result of this, he was able to seduce both Adam and Eve. From the very moment that Eve doubts the Lord and listens to the serpent's lies to the moment she eats of the fruit, she has now fallen from grace. Once Adam takes of the fruit as well, he too has fallen from grace. They are now both going to die spiritually, but not physically. The Lord now confronts Adam and Eve and eventually the serpent. Adam doesn't take responsibility. Eve doesn't take responsibility. 
Judgment, therefore, is bestowed upon Adam and Eve and the serpent. From this moment on, man is going to have to work to survive. Women are going to be in pain through childbearing and also through their monthly cycles. And the serpent and his seed are going to be at enmity between Eve and her seed, right up until the end of the world. For the sake of Adam, the Lord waits until he has died before the great flood comes. Adam was 930 years old when he died. We are not even told when Eve died. No doubt she was still under the curse and anger of the Lord. Once Adam dies, the Lord turns to Noah and he says, build an ark, judgment is coming. Noah put up with ridicule and mocking and quite possibly even indifference. But the flood came and judgment came and everybody that was alive, man and animal, died in the flood. What happened back in Genesis chapter 3 has now come to pass in Genesis chapter 8. But with the Lord's intervention and his subsequent flood of the entire world, Noah and his family are now given the task of repopulating the earth. What was lost back in the Garden of Eden has now partially been restored through Noah and his family. In the millennium, paradise lost will be paradise restored completely. But from Genesis 8 right up until the end of time, man has been given a second chance. Okay, so during the last broadcast, I gave you all a very important recap to remind you all what we've looked at so far and how the Lord operated and functioned and what happened as a result of the fall of man. But today, let's start in chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Eden's gone the world that they once knew has gone, and now it's time to repopulate the new earth. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be very difficult for them, but it's not going to be impossible. Verse 2, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Adam walked with the animals. Adam named the animals. Noah called the animals onto the ark. And yet from here, the animal kingdom is going to be in fear of man. There are many species around the world now which are nearly extinct. Mankind has killed many animals over the past 5,000 years as a result of the fall of man. Adam had a special relationship with the animals as did Noah, but with the fall of man, everything has now changed. Verse 3, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. Verse 3 makes it very clear, every moving thing that lives is now going to be food for you. As the green herb was, now it's going to be animal. Verse 4 speaks about the consumption of the blood, which is prohibited. But look at verse 5. And surely your blood 
of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require it, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Verse 6 clearly affirms the death penalty. If you take someone's life, you have forfeited your own life. Everything has now changed. The death penalty has now clearly been invoked. Cain escaped it, Lamech escaped it, but not here. If you kill someone, you have lost your own life. Verse 7 And you, be ye fruitful, and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. And verse 7 goes back to verse 1, where the Lord told the sons of Noah that they had a duty to repopulate the earth. But again, there's going to be conditions attached. The rules have changed now. Animal can be eaten, but not the blood within the animal. And if somebody kills someone else, that person must be put to death. Everything has changed. Life is going to be much harder now. So we are still in chapter 9 from the book of Genesis. And everything has changed. Man can now eat animal. But if he takes someone's life, he will lose his own life. This is one of the main consequences of the sin from Genesis chapter 3. Sin is contagious and therefore it takes something severe like a flood to deal with it. But the consequences continue on. And here we find it very clearly found in the opening verses from chapter 9. But let's start this broadcast in verse 8. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark, to every beast of the earth. Once again, you see very clearly how man is at the top of the chain here. Man has dominion over the animal kingdom. God gave it to Adam back in chapter 1, and now he's giving it to Noah and vicariously his sons. This covenant found in verse 9 is the Noahic covenant, given to Noah and also the animals. And verse 11 explains what this covenant would entail. And I will establish my covenant with you, Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. That is a divine promise. Found here, chapter 9, verse 11. Okay, so just before we conclude this broadcast, I want to very quickly look at some of the bloodlines that not only are found explicitly in the book of Genesis and throughout the entire Old Testament and subsequently into the New Testament, but also these people are going to be found throughout the history of mankind. Adam, of course, was the first man that was made. Adam had no father or mother. The Lord God made him from the dust of the earth. Adam's firstborn is a man called Cain, and Cain is the first murderer found in the Old Testament. Cain kills his brother Abel, 
Therefore Cain is a type of the Antichrist. Cain's brother Abel is cut down in his prime, and Abel is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, go back to Genesis chapter 3. The Lord puts enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of Eve. Cain represents Satan, Abel represents Christ. With Cain being cursed and Lamech being cursed, the Lord goes back to Adam and Eve and he gives them Seth. Seth produces Enoch and Enoch produces Noah. Enoch represents a church age saint that is going to be raptured, whereas Noah represents a great tribulation saint that is going to go through the tribulation and come out at the other end. And as we go through these broadcasts, I shall return and share with you more concerning these two bloodlines. One's cursed, one is not cursed. One is consecrated to the Lord, one is not consecrated to the Lord. But much more on that as we go through these broadcasts. Okay, so moving on through chapter 9 of the book of Genesis. And last time we saw the Lord making it very clear that the consumption of raw meat from verse 4 was out. And also he made it very clear that if you took a life, you lost your own life. Capital punishment found very clearly here post the flood. Also we find from chapter 9 how the animals are now fit for consumption. Pre the flood, Adam and Noah walked and talked and communed with the animals. Post the flood, the animals are now scared of man, and mankind can now eat animal to survive. So let's start this broadcast from verse 12. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. There's your rainbow. Every time you see a rainbow in the sky, that is a reaffirmation of the Noahic covenant. How the Lord will never again flood the earth from heaven and from within the earth again. As I said through the last few broadcasts, that was the Lord's judgment on these pantheists. These people that worshipped Mother Nature. These people that worship the creations of the world, but not the creator of the world. Verse 14. And it shall come to pass, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. Not only were scores of people killed throughout this global flood, but so too were the animals, and his covenant also covers them. Verse 16, And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant, which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. So this is a unconditional covenant. Noah couldn't do anything to make it come to pass, and the animals could do nothing to make it come to pass. It's all of the Lord. Like I said last time, he is omnipresent, he is omniscient, and he's omnipotent. And he swears by his own name, 
that the floods will never again return to destroy the earth. Fire, yes. Water, no. So last time we saw the affirmation from the Lord that he would never again flood the earth. And every time you see a rainbow in the sky, you can take the Lord at his word. He is a faithful, loving and merciful God. And when he promises something, he keeps his word, always and without exception. So from chapter 9, let's start this broadcast from verse 18. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. The Canaanites were enemies of Israel for many years and later they are going to be cursed. But everybody living today descends from either Shem or Ham or Japheth. Post the ark, everything is now starting to change. And from chapter 11, concerning the Tower of Babel, their skin colour is going to change and their speech is going to change as well. Verse 19, these are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. Again, it was a global flood. And Moses makes it very clear that the whole earth was overspread. And now it's down to three men and their three wives to repopulate the earth. Look at verse 20. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. This is the first reference of drunkenness in the Old Testament. And today, the sin of alcoholism, as it's known, is endemic. Alcohol abuse and drug abuse is a pandemic problem all over the world, but especially in the West. When it comes to alcohol, the Word of God has very little to say about it in a positive way. It's normally condemned in both Testaments. And here, Noah, a great man of God, has now stumbled. A righteous man has stumbled through the sin of of being drunk. Verse 22, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. He spots it first of all, and he probably enjoyed it. Maybe he was resentful to the standing that his father enjoyed, and it kind of gives me the impression that he not only observed Noah's nakedness, but he got some kind of satisfaction from it as well. Verse 22, And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. They didn't want to see him naked. They took no pleasure in their father being found naked through the sin of alcohol. So these two godly men walked backwards and tried to restore some of his dignity. 24. And Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done unto him. Maybe he heard Ham making a song and dance over this, or maybe his other two sons told him what had just occurred. But he was furious. This is a righteous fury, a righteous anger, upheld in both testaments. Okay, so just before we conclude Genesis chapter 9, 
I wanted to just very quickly recap from the previous verses, which saw the fall of righteous Noah and Ham's pleasure and carnal desire to see his father stumble. And when a saved person stumbles, you should never take pride in that. Even if your enemy stumbles, the word of God says, don't take pride, because people are made in the image of God. So let's conclude this broadcast and chapter in verse 25. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his brethren. The great patriarch Noah has spoken, and he has cursed not his son directly, but indirectly Ham's son. The people of Canaan are going to be cursed as a result of Ham's sin. As God suspended judgment on Adam, which saw the great flood from Genesis chapter 6, here Noah is suspending judgment on Ham, but is going to affect his seed after him. Like Cain's seed, here it's going to be Ham's seed. Verse 26, And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. From Shem comes the nation of Israel. And Ham's descendants are going to be the Canaanites. And the Canaanites are going to surrender their land to the children of Israel. This is judgment for Ham's sin. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. The Lord suspends judgment as and when he wants to. And the later generations of the ungodly lines, the cursed lines, pay indirectly for the sins of their forefathers. 27. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. It's very clear that Ham's sin, which he chose to do, it wasn't foreordained for him to do, he stumbled through his own free will, is now going to suffer the consequences of his sin. You reap what you sow. 28. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. And all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. He has outlived his forefather Adam by 20 years. The Lord's grace was immense for the man Noah. Okay, so we are now in chapter 10 of the book of Genesis, and let's start at verse 1. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. Noah was too old to have children, so it's now going to fall to Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 2 tells us that the sons of Japheth were Gomer and Magog. Magog is modern-day Russia. Look at verse 5. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families in their nations. We know from the New Testament, found primarily in the book of Ephesians, how the Gentiles were outside of the commonwealth of Israel. Some Gentiles did get saved, but they were the exception, not the practice. Verse 6 tells us that one of the sons of Ham was Cush, and verse 8 tells us that Cush begat Nimrod. Nimrod, the great mighty hunter, from verse 9. 
He is a type of the Antichrist. Verse 10 tells us that Nimrod built Babel. Babel, which is found in chapter 11, and we will get there shortly, is a type of Babylon the Great, found in the book of Revelation, where the Lord destroys it in one hour. Verse 11, we find Nineveh, a Gentile city, and Jonah was sent to preach to these people and call them to repent, and repent they did. Verse 14, we find the Philistines, Israel's arch enemy for many years. And verse 19, we find Gaza and Sodom and Gomorrah. You think of Gaza today, you think of the Palestinians, also enemies of Israel. But here Sodom and Gomorrah, that wicked city which was filled with decadence, depravity and debauchery. And the Lord destroyed it, of course, later in the book of Genesis. We find clearly from verse 2 how Japheth has been elevated above his older brother Ham. Ham was cursed, we saw that from chapter 9, verse 18, 25 and 26. Again, the firstborn being Shem has been elevated on this occasion, whereas the firstborn of Adam and Eve was Cain, and he was cursed. And finally, in verse 21, we find Shem listed and all of the children that descended from him. Shem, of course, was the father of the Semites. Japheth was the father of the Gentiles, and Ham is the father of the Canaanites, the Philistines, and other reprobates found throughout the Old Testament and subsequently into the history of mankind. So just before I conclude this broadcast, I want to return to my pie chart, which gives a clear breakdown of who came from whom. Japheth produces Magog, and Magog, of course, is going to come against Israel, according to the book of Ezekiel in the last days. But Shem, the firstborn of Noah, produces Abraham, who produces Isaac, and from Isaac comes Ishmael, and from Ishmael comes Esau, and from Esau comes Edom, and from Edom comes Baal, which is another name for Lucifer, and from Lucifer comes Muhammad. Ham, of course, is cursed. We saw that very clearly from chapter 9, and we saw the consequences of the curse in chapter 10. From Ham comes Nimrod. Nimrod produces Babel. Babel produces Nineveh. Nineveh produces the Philistines. And the Philistines produced Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah, interestingly, produced Dan, the apostate, idolatrous tribe of the children of Israel. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. By this stage, Shem, Ham, and Japheth are all dead. Their descendants are found here in verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. Chapter 11, verse 1 makes it very clear. At this time, the whole earth had one language. Everybody looked the same, Caucasian. But verse 4 is very interesting. Here we find 
the descendants of Shem, Ham and Japheth wanting to build a tower that could reach up to heaven. Maybe they were trying to copy the pyramids, who knows. But nevertheless, this is not what the Lord wanted. His plan was very simple, go out and repopulate. But mankind is stubborn. These people wanted to stay together and have everything in common. Look at verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Chapter 6 told us that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart of mankind was only evil continually. And here they are wanting to reach heaven via a tower. That's not what the Lord wants. But look at verse 7. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit speaking here. Verse 8. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence, upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. He stepped in, he stopped it, and now they are being forced to go out, to disperse, to repopulate the earth. Ham was told to do it, Shem was told to do it, and Japheth was told to do it. Verse 9. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. From verses 6 to 9, not only has the Lord changed their language, so now you have multiple languages, but I believe from this moment on, he has also changed their skin colour. Their DNA has now changed. White man, black man, Oriental man. This is how it happened. Yes, it's possible that Ham, Japheth and Shem post the flood over a period of 200 years or so started to experience a change in the climate and their skin may have changed. But here, chapter 11, verse 1 makes it very clear that even at this stage in history, they all spoke the same language. So I'm not convinced that the DNA had changed drastically up until now. But from verses 6 to 9, the Lord changes everything. Multiple languages, different skin colours. Okay, so this will be the final broadcast going through the book of Genesis. We've looked at the first 11 chapters of Genesis and we've covered a lot of ground. Maybe, Lord willing, I shall return at a future date and look at more verses and chapters from Genesis. But for now, I want to conclude this series of broadcasts. And I will just say this, if I may, if you wish to purchase my series of recordings looking at the book of Genesis, you can do so. We now have the MP3 recording, which contains over two hours of material. It's free to download off our website. It's non-copyrighted, but what we are requesting is a modest donation. So please visit our website, and the contact details will be heard at the end of this broadcast if you wish to download my recordings of Genesis. Also, we have some DVDs looking at books of the New Testament, which you can also receive via a modest donation. Everything that we make is free and it's all non-copyrighted. 
but we do request donations simply to cover our overheads. So let's conclude this broadcast. We are still in chapter 11, and from verses 10 down to 26, we find all of the descendants from Shem. Shem is the first Semite in scripture, and from Shem comes the Messiah, of course. But let's look at verse 26. And Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Abram here is later going to be called Abraham. He is in the line of Shem. And Christians consider Abraham to be their father. Muslims consider him to be their father. And Jews, of course, consider him to be their father. Abraham has Isaac and Ishmael as his two sons. Isaac was the promised seed, and from Isaac comes the Lord Jesus Christ. Whereas the Muslims claim Ishmael as their forefather, Muhammad believed he descended from Ishmael. But nevertheless, the Lord chose Isaac to be the successor of Abraham, not Ishmael. So just before I conclude this broadcast, I want to return one more time to my pie chart, which helps me, and hopefully it will help you to understand who came from whom. Japheth, of course, was blessed, and from Japheth comes Magog and other Gentile nations. Ham was cursed, so from his line he produces Nimrod, Babel, Nineveh, the Philistines, Sodom and Gomorrah, and also the tribe of Dan, where some people believe the Antichrist comes from. Shem was the firstborn of Noah, and from Shem comes Abraham, and from Abraham comes Isaac, and from Isaac comes Jacob, and from Jacob comes the twelve tribes of Israel. Isaac's brother is Ishmael, and from Ishmael comes Esau, and from Esau comes Edom, and from Edom comes Baal. Baal, of course, being another term for Lucifer. And from Baal comes Muhammad. Muhammad believed he was a descendant from Ishmael, and even if that was the case, Ishmael's line is not blessed by the Lord God. Isaac is blessed. And from Isaac comes the Lord Jesus Christ. And the main reason why the Lord didn't want all of these people to stay in the same place and speak the same language was because he wanted everyone to go out and not intermingle. Remember, there are two lines found in the Bible. One line is going to produce the Messiah. The other line is going to produce the Antichrist. He forces these people to go out into the world system. We're not all the same. We are all different. Two lines. One is godly. One is ungodly. That, in a nutshell, is what you've just read from this part of Genesis chapter 11. So that will conclude for now my look at the book of Genesis. And like I say, this whole series is now available in MP3. And if you wish to download it from our website, you can do it's free. But please do consider sending us a donation to cover our overheads. The Lord bless you and Maranatha.